0: What's up, Felony Friday listeners? Before we start the show today, I wanted to let you know of a way that you can support the show and help to spread the message of liberty. You can do this by visiting IgniteLiberty.us and ordering a Make Liberty Great Again hat or shirt. That's right. We now have men's and women's shirts, Make Liberty Great Again shirts, and they are in more colors than I can even count. Visit IgniteLiberty.us and get yours today. Make sure to enter promo code LIBERTY at checkout for 10% off your order. That's IgniteLiberty.us. Thanks, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Welcome to Felony
1: Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt.
0: Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to Felony Friday, right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Every week here on Felony Friday, we bring you a new show that shines a light on a different aspect of our extremely broken and shattered criminal justice system in this country. Now, today on the show, we have our second half of my interview with Pete Hendrickson. Now, this episode is number 43, so you're going to be able to find links and notes with everything that we talk about today at lionsofliberty.com ff43. For those of you that did not hear episode 42, which was part number one with Pete Hendrickson, please check out that first. I encourage you to pause this. You can find that at lionsofliberty.com ff42. Please go back and listen to that. And just a quick refresher for those of you who listened last week. Last week, Pete shared his vast knowledge regarding the income tax. He really got into the history of the income tax, the motivation of the income tax, and the reasons why so many Americans do not understand the income tax and really how it's misrepresented by our government. And he discussed how through his book, Cracking the Code, The Fascinating Truth About Taxation in America, and through his website, LostHorizons.com, he has been able to help thousands of people recover billions of dollars from federal and state governments. I know it sounds insane and incredible, but it is, it's true. In today's episode, now we're going to get into the details of the income tax. We're going to take a deep dive into some certain areas. And I've had some questions that I'll ask Pete about how certain things work and how he sees it, why certain things should be taxed and why other things should not be taxed based on if there is a government subsidy or some sort of government assistance given to that company. Now, through this, through Pete's work, through him helping all these people recover so much money from the federal government, the federal government obviously does not like this. And Pete has gained some unwanted attention And unfortunately, it has resulted in the feds targeting his family, mainly his wife, Doreen. Doreen was ordered to lie and swear falsely that a government-prepared document was true and that she believed it. And Pete is going to go through that story during this episode and talk all about that. Thankfully, Doreen is not in prison right now. She's out on supervised release. And Pete will talk about that as well. And we'll talk about the next steps And we'll see where that goes. So I hope you enjoy today's interview, part two of my interview with Pete Hendrickson. You had mentioned earlier that you can only go back a a certain amount of years in order to to reclaim money. But how does that work? And is there a hard number? What's that based upon?
1: Well, you know, there actually isn't a hard number. There is and there isn't. Tax law provides for a three-year look-back period. But federal law in general for federal claims uh, actually has a six-year statute of limitations and as it happens at least two federal courts have held that in the case of a an amount uh, withheld as tax that actually wasn't for tax because there actually wasn't a taxable activity involved rather than the three-year tax law rule applying the six-year general law applied and so there's a certain amount of uh, you know, variability in that. As a general proposition, the three-year figure is, is the uh, effective limitation.
0: Okay, so three years. And are there, is typically, I guess, the people you deal with, the people who read your book and follow your work and are using that in order to crack the code, are there accountants that are doing this as well and helping to facilitate this? Or is it is it mostly people just doing this and submitting the paperwork on their own?
1: There are accountants that do, but mostly the accountants just do it for themselves. Someone who has become educated about the nature of the tax and doesn't actually engage in taxable activities does not need any assistance in, in doing this. Those folks actually do the 15-minute, you know, on a postcard tax return that Steve Forbes, you know, famously spoke of uh, back when he was running for president. You know, an educated person doing their taxes that has not had more than the exemption amount of income, quote unquote, it takes 10 minutes to do a tax return. It's only people who actually do engage in taxable activities that have to deal with the, you know, huge three and a half million word tax code. So most people don't need any accountancy. They don't need any help. And this is, you know, proven true across the board. You know, the numbers are very, very large. And it's people from all walks of life, no particular education level involved, no particular facility with numbers or anything else, because it's really, really straightforward. In fact, you know, go to lostrisons.com and and, uh, anyone is interested, click on the sitemap link and the third link down will take you to that stack of 1,200 or so examples that I referred to earlier. Click on any of those links and and look at the documentation. You can see the filing that was made. Very, very, very simple. It's not rocket science by any means whatsoever and, and certainly no expertise is required in order to make use of this information.
0: You're talking about activities that are taxable and activities that, that are not taxable. Is it possible I'll just give you an example, you can tell me if this would be something that would be taxable. If you're say you're investing in the stock market and you're investing in a company that is taking government subsidies or has some form of government assistance, by investing in that company and then, you know, making capital gains on that once you sell, would that be something that would be taxable?
1: You know, that's a good question, and it's a complicated question. There are different manners in which companies can be involved in federal activities. Some certainly would cause any gains that uh, are enjoyed by investors to be effectively the uh, gains from the exercise of privilege. An investor in a company, by proxy, is a performer in the company, is an active member of the company. They're simply doing it, as I said, by proxy. So it depends on what the company is doing. A company that I don't know how to draw this distinction very easily. A company simply receiving a subsidy isn't necessarily, but a company that is in a case like that, for instance, you know, the uh, officers of the company or the company itself as an entity might be a beneficiary, whereas the investors may not actually see any direct linkage between, you know, what they're getting a dividend for and the the benefit that the company itself has, has received. A company that's doing, performing uh, government activities directly would be less ambiguous in that sense. The hard and fast rule is to, if you don't want to have an issue with calculating or figuring out whether or not a given dividend qualifies for the tax, don't invest in federally connected companies. And there are plenty out there that you know have no federal connection whatsoever, so...
0: Kind of makes sense, and if people did follow the spirit of the income tax law as you're describing it, just by the nature of the law, it would keep the federal government and things that are influenced by it smaller,
1: right? Much, much smaller. Yes, much smaller. In fact, it would, you know, largely take it back to that uh, that much more benign period prior to the 1940s when the you know totality of government uh, at all levels, state, local, and federal. Absorbed less than 10 percent of GDP. That's almost impossible to understand at this point the difference between those two things. I'll give you an example, though. It was written by a, uh, a journalist back around the turn of the 20th century that, in his time, the average American could go through their entire lifetime with the only contact of any kind—not just you know physical face-to-face contact, but the only. Relations of any kind with any federal official throughout their entire lives was with the guy who delivered their mail. That was it. Federal government simply did not have a presence in people's lives, in Americans' lives. Mm-hmm. Now, the federal government has a presence in virtually everything you do. You know, it's a whole, a, a whole different situation. That by virtue of the nature of the tax, government is kept small. Okay. It absolutely. The tax properly applied does exactly what it was intended to do, which is to... Put a damper that private profiteering from the exploitation of public resources. That's what the tax was meant to keep regulated and meant to recapture a benefit, a public benefit from, and that is what it does.
0: Okay, I wanted to shift and uh, start to ask you in in a little bit some questions about your your wife's situation, but before we get to that, kind of pivot towards that and just talk about some uh, notable people who have gotten in trouble for. Tax evasion. Uh, one that comes to mind is Erwin uh, Schiff, who I, I'm assuming you're familiar with. Sure. Um, you know, there's been several celebrities. I think Wesley Snipes was uh, got in trouble for tax evasion. So, what is the difference between the work that you're doing, where you're seeing people being able to reclaim their funds without issue, and something that would happen to Erwin Schiff, who, unfortunately, I, I believe he he passed away in jail. Recently, within the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, within the last couple of years and a real tragedy and a, a crime for whatever faults Irwin may have had, he was, a, in my opinion, a sincere fellow and never willfully did anything criminal. At the same time, he did not understand the tax and suffered as a consequence. He was doing things that made him vulnerable to corrupt behavior on the part of the uh, Department of Justice that wanted to shut him down. And he fell prey to that. It was simply a shame. Uh, Wesley Snipes, uh, yeah, another famous example of someone that didn't understand the subject was let himself be taken into the hands of uh, folks who had uh, strange notions about the subject, and uh, and they counseled him into doing unwise things, which he did. I actually have some material posted on uh, both those cases, both Irwin Schiff and and Wesley Snipes, on my website. In fact, I have a page with links to some 40 or so discussions of the larger misunderstandings about the tax that uh, have arisen over the course of the decades that people have done.
0: What I'll do is I'll, I'll get those links from you and we can link directly to those articles and parts you want to your website on the show right. notes page. People can just go grab them right there.
1: Anyway, the reality is that uh, that there are not, you know, 13 different ways to skin the cat. There's only one. And uh, there have been a lot of people that have looked into the subject, and unfortunately, it's been uh, sort of a you know studying the forest and getting lost in the trees situation for many of them. Or you know, the uh, I hesitate to use this word because it'll sound too unkind, but the blind men examining the elephant, each of which you know comes up with one of six different explanations, each of which sort of makes sense in its own way, but only because there was a you know limited uh, view of the of the overall subject uh, that was available and for the most part this probably was a consequence of these folks doing their uh, analysis such as it was uh, prior to being able to apply modern technology to the subject uh, certainly that was true for people like Erwin Schiff and a number of others and and unfortunately you know habits of research are not they're not taught in the schools today <laughs> logical thinking is really not taught in the schools today I don't want to you know be
0: I don't think you're going to get much disagreement on that from from this audience. But but
1: (laughs) just, you know, there's a lot of flawed thinking out there and and some people have suffered, you know, from either adopting it from other folks or engaging in it themselves. And it's just a shame. Uh, It really is a shame.
0: Um, so let's can we talk about your your yeah. wife's situation? Yeah, yeah, I know in the see. in the pre-show chat uh, you told me a little bit about it that she's out on supervised release right now. Can we just go back to the beginning of it and can you take us through? Yeah, what happened? Let let me do that.
1: I'll give you a, a little preface, which kind of retouches on something I mentioned previously. The you know, federal government really doesn't want the knowledge revealed in cracking the code to be more widely disseminated, and and there have been efforts to suppress that information since the very first publication of the book in 2003. In fact, in early 2004, I was served with papers that initiated a series of four different legal actions attempting to enjoin the publication of my book that contained as part of the evidence package associated with these these legal actions, a printout of my website from August of 2003 when Cracking the Code was first released to the public. So the, the, at that time, the feds already had, had had their eye on it. I had published a, uh, a short treatise on the subject in December of 2002 prior to writing Cracking the Code, and apparently that caught you know, someone's eye. And so they more or less lay in wait until the time that the, the book was actually put into print and uh, and then pounced and uh, were sent back into the bushes on all four of those legal actions. Uh, The government, in fact, was forced in all those cases to move for dismissals in its own actions in courts around the country because their arguments didn't stand up to the light of day. But that didn't make them go away. A couple of years later, in 2006, the government came back and brought a civil lawsuit in a court in Detroit claiming, with a, a lot of false elements, Uh, That uh, the refunds, complete refunds that had been made to my wife and me for 2002 and 2003 were made by mistake, and they uh, wanted the money back. And as part of the claim that was made, the government asked, because they had no basis for claiming that we actually owed any money for those two years and that therefore the refunds were erroneous, which was a requirement of the statute under which they brought this action, they asked the court. Hearing the case to order my wife and me to declare our earnings for those years to be income, quote unquote. Now, all by itself, right there, any astute listener will recognize that this knocks the pins out from under the entire lawsuit action in the first place. There's clearly no reason for that to be of any interest to the government if they actually had a basis for claiming that my wife and me ought. A tax for those years but uh, they did not and they produced none instead they asked for this unprecedented order from a court which the court rubber stamped so the the DOJ attorney and uh, that was bringing this action actually wrote a ruling for the court and uh, which was admitted to in, in my wife's trials uh, by the way that, that that's where the ruling came from and the judge in the case simply signature stamped it and you know moved on to other things now My wife ultimately was charged with contempt of court for failing to produce the commanded false documents. The command said what it was that was to be said on what were called amended tax returns. The the order required that we repudiate our freely made, previously filed tax returns, and replace them with returns containing content dictated by the government and sign them under penalty of perjury, declaring that dictated content to be our own testimony that we believe to be true and correct. I've never been charged with the contempt charge, but my wife in 2013 was. I think that this was kind of a mafia level tactic of attempting to compel me to, you know, shut down my activities and, uh, you know, close my website and what have you because the thugs were coming after my family at this point. But in any event, the charge was a charge of contempt of court for the refusal to create these false documents. My wife went to trial in 2013 uh, in October, defended herself, took the trial to a hung jury. The government came back again in July of 2014 in a far more vicious and uh, fraud-ridden trial and succeeded in getting a conviction in July of 2014. And in April of 2015, my wife was sentenced to 18 months in prison and a year of supervised release with a provision in that supervised release uh, order that within 60 days of being released from actual incarceration, she produced the false statements that the government has been after the entire time or go back to prison.
0: That's just unreal. I've never never heard of a situation like that, where they release yeah, you has. and you've served your time, but yet...
1: Well, not only that, but you also have never heard of an order commanding someone to uh, no. testimony dictated to them by the government and, and sign that it is you know an oath, uh, sign of the penalty of perjury, that it's their own testimony. It's never been done in American history. No court has ever upheld this. The Sixth Circuit Court, which is the Court of Appeals, operant in this area has avoided the the question. They've refused to uphold these orders as constitutional, but they've also refused to uh, strike them down. Uh, They have simply dodged the subject in both times that the subject has come before them. Once when the orders were initially issued, we appealed the ruling in that civil lawsuit and the Sixth Circuit simply ignored that part of the appeal entirely. Uh, they never mentioned the First Amendment. They never mentioned the Consti- even the Constitution in the short ruling that they uh, issued in that case and simply let it all go. In my wife's case, when we appealed her conviction, with that as the, you know, with the unconstitutionality of these orders as the number one issue, the appellate court resorted to what is known as collateral bar doctrine as an excuse for not ruling on the constitutional question. They said that because she had not obeyed the orders right off the bat, the appellate court could be excused from ruling on the lawfulness of the order. And I want to that brings me to another thing that I want to tell you about, another unprecedented element of my wife's case. The government requested in her trials and received an instruction to the jury that the unlawfulness or unconstitutionality of the orders Mrs. Hendrickson is accused of criminally resisting is not a defense to the charge. Can you repeat that again? The unlawfulness or unconstitutionality of the orders Mrs. Hendrickson is accused of criminally resisting is not a defense to the charge.
0: How how can they say that? That doesn't even...
1: Well, you know, they've never said it before, but uh, in this case, because they are so desperate to suppress the information in Cracking the Code, they have stepped into new territory in many different ways. And it's pretty disturbing. I hope that it's disturbing to everyone listening. It ought to be disturbing. There's another disturbing aspect of it that won't strike people immediately that aren't already intimately familiar with this. The orders command that an adversary in litigation, in this case, the government, that the other side be compelled to endorse their adversary's allegations of fact in a lawsuit over you know what happens to the that person's property. That's also never been done. No one has ever been told they have to declare their agreement with their adversary's version of the facts in a lawsuit. And obviously if people can be made to endorse, you know, to make testimony at the government's specification, all bets are off. I mean there's there's nothing that you know people cannot be made to do. There's no greater subtlety of tyranny than the ability to tell people how they have to testify.
0: We've completely lost any semblance of justice, if that's the way things are going to go.
1: That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right.
0: You know, obviously, this is a a really difficult situation for you and your wife. Um, Just curious, and you don't have to answer if you're not comfortable, but how is she coping with this? How how did she cope with spending the 18 months in prison? Or how are her spirits?
1: It was very, very difficult for my wife. Uh, she is a wonderful, a wonderful woman, a wonderful mother, a wonderful wife. But she is not a I don't know how to put this, a, she's not a Girl Scout type of woman. She is a homemaker and a, a caretaker and a you know coupon clipper and a a homeschooler. And the circumstance of you know being in that adverse environment and you know, subjected to the indignities and so forth. Some people handle that kind of thing relatively well. You know, it rolls off their back um, relatively easily. It does not in Doreen's case. It was very, very hard for her. And the looming prospect of possibly having it resume in what amounts to about two and a half weeks is very, very hard for her, too. So that's all I can say about it. I guess it was very, very difficult the actual time uh, that she was incarcerated by the way which was 550 miles from home uh, also should make note of that that made it that much more difficult she was in 14 months uh, there was a, she got good time you know there's the federal system uses that to uh, reduce the overall term uh, by a bit and the last month and a half of her incarceration time was under home confinement so she actually came home in mid July under a uh, home confinement regimen, which is, you know, a bit onerous, you know, constant phone calls, you know, three in the morning and things like that to, uh, you know, ensure that she's where she's supposed to be and and all of that stuff. But at least she was home uh, at that time. So, so I was actually 14 months in the prison camp in West Virginia and then a month and a half or so of home confinement and now supervised release.
0: So uh, assuming she, you know, doesn't sign the paper and commit perjury and, you know, continues right. to tell the truth. What do you expect to happen?
1: You know, we don't know. There is, uh, you know, it's possible that the uh, that the reincarceration period would be the remainder of the supervised release period, which would be, you know, another 10 months. It's possible that it would be a you know, more nominal punishment for violation of the supervised release terms, or it could be anything. It could be a, a good deal more than, than either of those possibilities the uh, rules about that sort of thing are actually very, very open to interpretation and uh, provide a lot of latitude to the court. And so uh, since the object of all of this is not to punish my wife, but to get the false statements, that's the thing that's critically important to the government. They must have these false statements. Their whole schema falls apart without those false statements. If they don't get the false statements, the Grounds for the bringing of the civil suit in which these orders were sought and issued in the first place is never substantiated. It's never that it never gets the support that it has to have in order to have them legitimized. The the object here was to, for the government to pull itself up by its own bootstraps. It commanded in the course of the you know purported solution that it sought a remedy that it sought from the court the underpinnings for its pretense. Of bringing the suit in the first place. And so it's in dire straits. It's in a, a very awkward situation right now and has been the entire time. So the object, again, is not just to punish Doreen for, you know, being contumnacious. The object is to get these false statements by hook or by crook. And so the you know prospect of a, you know, slap on the wrist for what is, you know, just a A technical violation of the supervised release term is not great. The government is going to push for more than that, you know, but we don't know what it'll be. And it's a a terrible situation to have something like that hanging over us and uh, and especially for Doreen to have it hanging over her. It's a very frightening prospect for her.
0: Do you consider your wife to be a political prisoner at this time?
1: Oh, she absolutely is a political prisoner. She's more than a political prisoner. She's a gulag prisoner in every sense of the word. This whole prospect of her being commanded to create this false testimony, which, by the way, includes a command that it not be revealed in any fashion that it was coerced testimony. She is not allowed to put disclaimers of any kind on the things indicating that she was told what to say and that you know she was made to say it. It's Stalinesque in its character. It's the same kind of, you know, truly demented corruption that I think of as, as being a hallmark of the, the Stalin period in the Soviet Union, when people were, you know, committed to uh, mental hospitals if they didn't embrace communism and you know view it as if they dissented, because they were viewed as not having their minds right, and so it was an automatic sign of uh, you know a mental problem, and they would just be bundled off to a to commitment to a mental institution. This is the same kind of thing. Doreen won't say what the government wants her to say. She believes. And so she's being imprisoned for it. It's pernicious.
0: Well, I want to thank you for coming on this show, Pete. Thank you for talking about your book, talking about cracking the code and for sharing your wife's story. I'm sure it can't be easy for you to talk about. Is there anything else that you'd like to like to talk about?
1: Real briefly, I would like to urge everyone listening to recognize the importance of the limitations on the tax that the founders and framers put in place, and that the government is so eager to keep from your eyes and understanding right now, so eager that they would do the things that we've just been speaking about. They're not your friends, and they're not doing this sort of thing. They're not trying to keep this information from you for your benefit. They're trying to keep it from you for Leviathan's benefit. The truth that they're trying to keep from you is the means that the founders recognized as a necessity for restraining the state. And the state does not want to be restrained. You want it to be restrained because it's to your benefit that it be kept the dangerous servant rather than the fearful master. And it wants to be the fearful master. You want the prosperity and freedom that is the heritage that uh, belongs to you as an American. The government wants you to be ensurfed, essentially. And so learning the information that is trying to be kept from you is a civic responsibility, in my opinion. And I don't say that because I want to sell books to you. Frankly, all the information that is needed to understand the issues that we've been speaking of and how the tax works and what to do to become free of it, all of those things are available at no charge whatsoever. At LostHorizons.com, the book "Cracking the Code" and my other books distill it into a perhaps a more accessible form. And most people find that you know reading the books uh, is a large benefit to them in that regard. But this is not about selling books. This is about encouraging people to to uh, stand up, to uh, become grown-ups, and to embrace and uh, act on their civic responsibilities to help. Restore the Republic to help restore and uphold the rule of law. Those things require, you know, the Constitution doesn't enforce itself. They require people to act to make these things happen. And, you know, an unfortunate perhaps reality, maybe a good reality, is that it has to be done uh, one by one. It has to be done uh, by individuals uh, standing up and acting. Um, happily, the law is 100% behind you. And uh, it is the happy experience of tens of thousands of other Americans uh, that acting on this, this knowledge is almost in every case met with complete cooperation and proper behavior on the part of government. They don't want you to know about this, and so they're you know, delivering uh, beatings to my family and me, but uh, not to you. So I encourage everyone to go to lostrisons.com, learn this critical truth, and uh, join the community of uh, your fellows that, uh, that are making it uh, a reality and uh, upholding the rule of law.
0: Well, thank you for coming on, Pete. The book is Cracking the Code, The Fascinating Truth About Taxation in America. And like Pete said, it's not about selling books, but I think he sold me a book today because I I want to learn everything I can about this. So so I'm armed with the truth. Thank you, Pete, for fighting on the front lines of liberty, uh, the battle between liberty and tyranny. Thank you, John. What an incredible story Pete Hendrickson had to share today and last week in both parts of this episode. Now, when we talk about taxation in general, myself as someone who loves liberty, myself as someone who who loves freedom, the income tax, taxation, is theft. It is the government. It is a coercive government using the threat of violence in order to extract money from you. Now, that's any kind of taxes where you don't have consent, uh, where there hasn't been an, an agreement put in place. And really, that's all taxes in today's setup, from local taxes to state taxes to the income tax. That's really all forms of taxation. Now, in a more free society, there could be a structure of, uh, taxations where we could form a government or some form of governance to manage certain aspects of society through the consent of the people living in that society who would voluntarily agree to contribute a certain amount of their their pay to go towards certain services. I don't think there's anything wrong with that in a imaginary libertarian society that I'm picturing in my mind now, to focus back on the income tax, a couple notes that I want to make on on what Pete said. Now, first of all, I have not read Pete's book yet. I plan on it. I've read a lot of his work at Lost Horizons and obviously through this interview I've gained a lot of knowledge about the income tax and according to Pete the proper interpretation of the income tax, proper interpretation of what is and what is not taxable income. Now, you know, I'm not going to go out there I'm not going to tell anybody If they should or should not pay their taxes, that's a personal decision. I'm not going to tell anyone what they should or should not do. You have to educate yourself and you have to do the research yourself to learn if that's something you want to do. Now, let me be just completely honest with you guys here. I try to always be honest. You know, doing this interview, there was a listener of the show who reached out to me and sent me an email maybe three or four months ago and said, you got to interview this guy, Pete Hendrickson. And I responded. I said, sure, I'll look into it. And I did. I looked into Pete. I saw what he was about. And I was very interested. But I was concerned. I was concerned to have Pete on the show, knowing what the federal government had done to his wife. I was worried to bring an individual on who is speaking power against the government, showing the people a way out, a way around, around this government confiscation of their wealth. And that's a uh, that's a powerful thing, and that's something that you know the government's going to push back on. And for me to air this interview, I know that you know it was it's something that I don't think the government's going to retaliate against me, but you know they certainly could. It crossed my mind, but at the end of the day, I knew that I wanted to have Pete on. I knew that first of all, I wanted to learn more about what he was talking about to better educate myself, and I wanted my Felony Friday audience get this information as well. So I'll tell you this. I'm going to read Pete's book. I'm going to dig farther into losthorizons.com. When I say Pete's book, I'm talking about cracking the code, the fascinating truth about taxation in America. I will link to that in the show notes, and I will link to Pete's website, Lost Horizons, as well. Now, I'm not going to tell you right now that I'm going to, you know, start fighting to get my tax money back. It's not something that I'm willing to commit to, At this point right now, and like I said earlier, it's not something where I would tell another individual, another person, a friend, an acquaintance, a relative, what they should or should not do about their taxes. That's a very personal decision, and I would not tell anybody. At the end of the day, there could be some blowback, and there has to be, as Pete said, most of the time these go through, but there have been some people who have had some pushback, and of course, you're seeing the consequences that Pete is facing with his family, with his wife, being a political prisoner. So it's not something I take lightly at all, but I wanted to have Pete on because I knew this was so important to talk about. Pete is a patriot. He is on the front lines of the battle between liberty and tyranny. I want to thank you guys for listening today. And if you did enjoy this show, I want to ask you a couple things, ask you to do a couple things. Could you please go to iTunes? Even if you don't listen through iTunes, if you do listen through iTunes, that's great as well. Subscribe through iTunes, then, to get the show. I also want to ask you to go to iTunes and rate the show. Give us a five-star rating if you enjoy what you hear, and please leave a comment. You guys have no idea how much that helps us out, helps us out with the iTunes algorithms to get us up in in the ratings, which, at the end of the day, gets us more listeners to the show and helps us to spread the message of liberty. You can also directly share the show, share the show notes page with your online networks, Twitter, Facebook. Send it out. Please share the message of liberty. Episodes like these, like my interview, my two-part interview with Pete Hendrickson, are so, so important. Also, if you're new to the show, I know uh, Pete has a big following. If this is your first time listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast, and more specifically to Felony Friday, the Felony Friday show, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, then please check out the Felony Friday archive. You can find that at felonyfriday.com. It's going to have all of the podcast episodes as well as all of my previous articles that I wrote for many years on different elements of the criminal justice system in my column titled Felony Friday that preceded this podcast. So please check that out. And lastly, if you haven't joined the Lions of Liberty Forum yet, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and join. It's on Facebook. All you have to do is go to Facebook, type in that search bar up at the top, Lions of Liberty Forum It'll pop up, click join, and we will get you approved. It helps if you have some mutual friends in the group. It's not a must. Helps if you have some libertarian articles and stuff that you've tagged. We'll definitely let you in. If we see that, we'll let you in right away. That's all I have for today, guys. This was a, a very important podcast, a very important show. As always, thank you for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.